Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, the podcast, which is our <laughs> podcast. I'm embarrassed. I can speak. Um, <laughs> I'm here with everyone's good friends, uh, Amanda and Steve, turtle experts uh, to the max, ready to share their knowledge and their um, awesome personalities with us for at least the next hour. Maybe we'll push it a little more, make Steve a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so I'd like to just jump right into it. We've got some really cool stuff that uh, we wanted to talk about. Um, you guys, I don't know if you're still jet lagged or not, but you recently came back from an exciting trip that you wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> would anyone like to uh, do the honors and speak about that? Well, it was about a month ago, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure the jet lag is gone. Um, I guess, I'm still recovering. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> on August 5th from the Turtle Survival Alliance, uh, well, I guess I'll use the full name, the 14th Annual Symposium on the Conservation and Biology of Tortoises and Freshwater Turtles, which this saying. year was held in New Orleans uh, from August 1st through 4th. Um, so we both returned home on August 5th. Today is September 6th. So we've been wow, home for 32 days. So that just, that I, can't, really I can't it's been a month. And I know we're all super excited for next year's conference, yeah. which uh, should be another um, just awesome time of uh, getting together, hanging out with uh, some now new friends that are that will soon be old friends and meeting more new friends and just uh, – you know, the, one, to me, one of the coolest parts about the, the conference is that it gives uh, everybody a chance to start uh, working on some new collaborative ideas and creating new ways to help conserve and educate about turtles and tortoises. And I can tell you that that happened this year, as it always does. That's that was great. amazing. Yeah, and for somebody who is really just breaking into this entire like, world of being a serious turtle person, um, it was just unbelievable. It completely ramped me up. It got me so motivated to, you know, really streamline all my goals and think about my future and how amazing all these cool scientists were and how I want to be like them. And of course, it, I think it's awesome that it's in a different city every year. Like, you know, the last few years have been in different cities because I probably would have never gone to New Orleans if it hadn't been for this this conference because I'm not really a city person when I go on vacation I want to go somewhere for the animals and for the wildlife and that's the same thing um, so you can tell that I'm only only going to a place because of the animals um, so New Orleans is like you know a city and maybe I'd go herping in Louisiana someday but I'm not a city person but this city was so much fun oh my god I had people turn down oh my god they are crazy so going on River Street with a bunch of turtle people. You wouldn't think that it's going to get crazy, but it was so much fun, and I met so many people, and obviously the collaborations and just like, oh, the turtle room, and everybody knew who we were. All I had to say was like, oh, yeah, I work for the turtle room, and they were like, oh, cool, and it was so awesome. It really made us feel like we belong, which is awesome. That's so cool. I, I missed it, just so everyone out there knows. I'm a slacker. My wife is extremely pregnant. She's about 27 months pregnant right now. I'm not kidding. That I didn't mistake the word weeks oh with God. months. Yeah, she's, I almost thought I yeah. missed that or something. I was like, wasn't yeah, she supposed to be having a baby? Yes, yeah, she's a normal human, but when you carry <laughs> when you carry the, a child uh, that was sired by an elephant, like Aaron, <laughs> uh, the, the gestation period is much longer. Oh so, uh, yeah, it's like giving birth to aliens over here. It's like so, a half human, like yeah. the, the two, the average of the two gestation periods, I guess, right? Yeah, it's like Blade. It's, like it's, it's, it's as if Fiona had stayed human and she and Shrek the ogre had a baby. Right. We're, yeah, oh. that's actually exactly what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> right, oh, yeah. Hopefully the baby doesn't come out looking like Wesley Snipes. It's, it's a half, <laughs> half human uh, like Blade. But yeah, um, <laughs> that would be awkward for, for her, I think. Um, so yeah. Um, <laughs> So I missed it. I really I missed the fun time, but um, I, I got tons of updates, probably more updates than uh, necessary because Steve is super thorough, which I appreciate more than you know, my friend. He's but, awesome. Um, yeah, it's just an amazing thing. I think if anyone can get out there, I, I think there are a lot of different, um, a lot of different 
activities, events, and things that happen throughout the course of the year, especially during busy season uh, around the summertime. But, you know, really think about the TSA conference if you um, have the opportunity, the means to, to try to make it happen because um, we've never experienced or heard anything but uh, absolutely uh, glowing uh, remarks from people. And um, I just think about what it means, you know, the opportunity means to you and as far as what you're trying to do with the hobby or your interests or whatever you want to call it. Um, the TSA is the best way to really learn the, all the important things that are happening around the world. So well, it's I think, awesome. Um, I think hobbyists and even, you know, non-conservationists <laughs> attending, attending the conferences, I think it's something we'd like to see um, more of happen. It's a good way to help support the TSA um, and the other organizations that are kind of there. Um, there's all sorts of, there's always, you know, some cool swag t-shirts and stuff for sale by several of the organizations as well as what, well, you know, there's lots of different ways to, you know, help support conservation even by attending the conference. There's, there's chances to donate to these organizations, to donate to the TSA, um, and even win items in an auction to do it as well. Um, and, and on top of that, you get to spend some time with some interesting, uh, interesting individuals. You get to learn a lot. And so it brings this nice educational experience as well as a chance to support um, people that are actually, you know, doing some of the conservation work, even if you aren't one of those people. And there are, you know, a handful of private hobbyists who kind of show up every year and do what they can to, to support, um, you know, all these other individuals. That's great. So what I took away from that is go to the TSA conference because there's a chance to buy cool T-shirts. Yeah, and the food is amazing. Oh my God, don't even get me started. They had some of the, some awesome food. They had a party at the aquarium the first night, and the food was just phenomenal. And then I'm not even talking about New Orleans, just the way that they catered to us. Like every morning there was breakfast, and then we had an awesome party at the end at the zoo, and we got to go like behind the scenes and like, oh, you know, no big deal. A shingleback skink was born two hours ago. Very awesome. Like it was just so cool. They they like they just went out above and beyond for us, and I've never experienced anything like it. It was amazing, and I highly recommend, like, you don't have to be a scientist to go, you don't have to be some big, you know, some big person who is doing something crazy, you just have to, you know, want to learn a lot about turtles, because you will learn a lot about turtles, and you'll meet. That's so great, that's so great, and that's a great segue into what we wanted to talk about, there was a, a specific uh, conversation that you had, and you also um, just kind of have looked into the topic a little bit and wanted to share some information. Can you tell us what that is? Um, yeah. Well, of course, you know, going to this conference, I have this weird thing nobody gets because nobody's as like stalkery about scientists as I am. But people, you know, fangirl <laughs> about about you know, like Justin Bieber could be walking down the road, and I'm like worried about if he's going to cause traffic or something. I'm not like trying to get his autograph. Um, I don't fangirl about much, but when there's like a really cool scientist in the room or something, I'm like going crazy. I'm fangirling. I'm like, oh my God, I'm too scared to talk to him, but like this is my chance. Like I need to go up to him and say something. And I just freak out. And so I've done that every single time I've ever been, you know, in the presence of a really cool person. And at the TSA conference, I was like, my blood pressure must have been through the roof. I was like sweating. I was like looking in the mirror every two seconds, like trying to make sure I didn't look like a crazy person and I was stalking people because they were my idols and I needed my chance to like just say hi, hi, I exist, hello. Um, and one of those people, I saw his talk and I've been, you know, obsessed. Of course, everybody who really loves turtles knows about the Yonksi giant soft shell turtle. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Um, and that is the most endangered species of turtle in the world. There's only like three of them left on planet Earth. And in January, um, you know, one of those wild males passed away uh, in, in China, or was it Vietnam or China? One of the two. Um, and so it was, you know, it kind of brought back into the, to the whole media, you know, putting, their, putting their, uh, their, their lights on this whole issue that this turtle is going extinct and the TSA is working really hard. And the head veterinarian on this project, his name is Dr. Gerald. Uh, Kuchling, and he is working on this, uh, working on this project, and so he's always in all the articles and all the pictures, and of course, knowing as much as I did about this turtle, I knew about him, so I saw him, and I'm like, oh my god, that's him, oh my god, like freaking out, 
and I kind of like watched him for two days and mm -hmm. was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm too scared. I can't do it. And there's an <laughs> awesome picture. I just love this turtle. I don't know if it's the allure of the fact that it is so endangered or the fact that it is so unique and beautiful, but I just am obsessed with this turtle. I think it's so beautiful. If I had the opportunity to see it, I would do it in a heartbeat. I just love it so much. And so of course, seeing this person, I'm like, I want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I never thought I would. I was like, I'm too scared. Nope, it's not going to happen. And finally, we went up to the, the um, hospitality, hospitality suite, and he was there, and he was just kind of floating around, and I was hanging out with somebody else. I think they were from Turtle Conservancy, and we just kind of, like, scooted over him, and, of course, like, we had had a few drinks, so we were, like, feeling brave, and we just started talking to him, and he was so cool and so down to earth. Um, he's from Austria and he lives in like Perth, Australia. And he was telling me about like kind of his, his feelings about working with this turtle. And it just, I didn't, I don't really know why I hadn't thought of it before as being the symbol that it is for turtle conservation. Because if you think about it, I mean, we are like really in this dire situation where the three turtles that they have are, are, you know, there's three of them. There's one female and two males. And they only think that one is a male because one is out in the wild. And so there's two in human care or captivity in zoos in China. And they're old and mm -hmm. they are, you know, it's, it's, they've got, gone through so much just to get the two together. Uh, they initially introduced the two and they didn't read something's wrong with the male, they think, um, where he just doesn't have reproductive organs that are you know, functional for breeding naturally and so they've been doing all these um all these fertility treatments on the female and every year they unfortunately have to say you know it didn't work it didn't work and they're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on and that's you know of course dr critchling's headache he's just every year having to try to figure out something new and something new and he kind of just said like you know well how did we get here like we had all this time mm -hmm. to prepare for this and <clears throat> now we're scrambling well you know i think one of the one of the reasons why, um, you know, some way the Rafidus might be one of those icons for turtle conservation, kind of like Lonesome George was, is at the same time you're mm -hmm. trying to, you know, save the species from the brink. And then financially you have to be thinking, man, the species is all but gone. What could we be doing for other species if we weren't spending, spending money? You know, and so there's all these, like, things that swirl around. And then mm -hmm. you take the species that there might be reproductive issues with the male. The thing is... If there is such a thing as a colonial reproductive expert, Gerald Cookling is that guy. However, pretty much every genus, their reproductive organs are a little bit different. I remember hearing him talk at last year's conference, showing his pictures comparing the hemipenis of the Rafidus to other soft shells, to other tur turtles, and how just different they are. And so he's even just trying to figure out exactly how all the organs of the Rafidus kind of actually, you know, have puzzle pieces put together to actually make things happen so they can try to reproduce it. But he's only got this limited amount of supply of these turtles to figure it out with. So mm -hmm. it's not like you can just kill one off to dissect it and try to really figure out what's going on because they're literally less than a handful of them. Yeah. So, so you take all these issues, you swirl them together. And so it, I think Rafidus has kind of taken Lonesome George's place as kind of that... Um, that species on that's literally you know we, we think of species on the brink but like this one's just like lonesome george it's like teetering over the edge you know yeah, like we're watching it we're watching it happen and <clears throat> it's kind of like one of those things where you're just watching it and you have you can't you're helpless and you just can't do anything and like in that moment when i was talking almost like I mean, like, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Can I come with you? Do you? Is there anything I can do? Like, I will dedicate my life to this. And it just made me feel so, like, such a sense of urgency. Like, oh, my God, this is just happening right before our very eyes. And it's so humbling when you really think about it. Like, we're going to watch a major species go extinct in our lifetime, and that's it. And we watched the Pinta Island tortoise. And I was thinking about that, too. And I'm like, gosh, like, what, where were we when there was three Pinta Island tortoises left, or when there was five, like, where were we? And so he was kind of saying some, some of the same things, like, even just the, the recent death of that male in January kick-started, uh, you know, an even greater sense of urgency, like, okay, yeah, we're really, really going to lose the species, but he was kind of almost cynical in the way, because, of course, he's just 
you know, over it. And he was just kind of saying, like, you know, we had so much time, and now we're at the end, and here we are scrambling when we, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we could have done so much more. And it got me thinking about, you know, how we, we always think about, oh, gosh, you know, the Burmese star tortoise is, is you know, almost pretty much extinct in the wild, but we have all of these ones in human care, so, you know, it doesn't even matter. But, like, it's still so important that we've done that and that we're doing that and that, you know, the things that we do, we can't let them become so complacent because they could have, you know, any of those species that we are working with and that we're being successful with could have very well been a species that we saw go extinct. And it's it's great. It makes me think about how a lot of the time when we're talking about a lot of the species that we keep here at the Pearl Room and there are common species, they're not endangered or maybe they're just threatened. We talk about, um, you know, Steve says it all the time, we keep common species common. And that is just as important, in my opinion, because all these species that we see as being critically endangered, we, we you know, there's people alive today that remember when they were when they were common, and it's just mm -hmm. so quick that they go downhill. So it really got me thinking about how that story is so important to tell for not only you know turtle conservationists, but for the world, just to tell these stories of of um, of these turtles that we are watching go extinct and. You know, maybe it's it's sad that we have to watch that happen, but at least we have those stories that come from it. That's like a lesson learned, you know. So it was. Can I sad. ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a question? Did you did you get down on one knee and offer to elope with Ger Gerald? I mean, kind of like. <laughs> it yeah. was. I mean, I didn't say like marry me, but I basically said I will. I'll follow you anywhere to the end of the It sounded like if I read between the lines. Like no one's ever said that to me. But I don't think I don't think I'm attractive enough for anyone to ever said that to me, but I think if they did, I would I would read between the lines. I'm just saying. I know. So, I'm kinda of hurt that he didn't I mean he kinda of, <laughs> I don't know if he thought I was kidding, but <laughs> like if he called me tomorrow I'd get on a plane basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's so anyway. If you want to read more, to. by the way, on Rafidus and this process, um, I would suggest heading over to the TSA's blog. And uh, you're going to have to search around a little bit because of the way the interface is. But uh, Or you could Google turtle survival and then Rafidus blog, and you'll probably be able to find them. But there's several posts um, specifically about um, the Rafidus stuff over the past couple years. And so you can read all about the various different efforts they've made from artificially inseminating via a turkey baser to doing surgical artificial insemination and all sorts of other, you know, different techniques that Gerald's tried to come up with to make something good happen. Because they do have a female that's laying like 70 eggs a year in a, in a clutch, that is. I don't remember how many clutches a year. And so they've got a female who's turning out eggs, so they're desperately trying to get some fertile ones. And mm -hmm. I topics um you know i was terrified to talk to gerald but he is the nicest coolest funniest guy i've ever met in my life and i feel like like if i saw him today i'd just be like hey what's up dude how's it going and i would probably you know be creepy because that's how i am but i wouldn't feel scared anymore and i love that because that's how you know 90 percent of my heroes have been for me and maybe it's just because again i don't want to meet justin bieber or like anybody I want to meet these scientists who don't really consider themselves like these celebrities. So that's probably just a, a me thing. But when they say don't meet your heroes, I've never had it turn out bad. It's always been great. So. <laughs> no, and, you know, I, I've gotten to meet a lot of these, um, these gentlemen and women over the past two years at the conference. And I think 90 to 95% of them are pretty down to earth people. And a lot of them um, will just sit down and talk to you like you're an old friend. And so, you know, we all share this, um, this unique, this uh, passion. And so I think that joins us together. And in general, they're good people. So you sit down and it's just sit down and have a brew or a, yeah. a glass of wine or, you know, whatever, and sit down and enjoy each other's company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, literally just feel like an old friend. I got to sit at uh, the Louis Armstrong Airport in New Orleans talking with Anders Rodin for like an hour before our flight. Uh, and, you know, it's just like we were, it's like we were old friends. And it, um, so, you know, 
I've heard I haven't gotten to experience Peter Pritchard like this because his health is declining. But I've heard heard the same about him, and 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 I've experienced it with Anders and Peter Paul Van Dyke and Gerald and and Dick Vogt, you know, and all these all these people. And so, you know, if you want to experience that too, you can come on out to the conference as well. Um, and again, you get to learn about all the stuff that Gerald's doing and all the other efforts. One of my favorite things that they did this year at the conference was they opened the first day with several organizations kind of giving an update about several things about, you know, what their organization has done over the past year or so. And they closed the conference with individual project updates. And I thought it was a great bookend to really, um, to really fortify uh, and strengthen um, us working in conservation <clears throat> to um, help give us, uh, just fire us up to keep going. That's great. So you you met many of uh, important people, Steve, but you didn't propose to any of them, and that's where you'll never hold a candle to Amanda. Um, yeah. Well, I am. She did it. You talked about it. She did it. That's the difference. Yeah, that's what New Orleans will do to you, I guess. I was <laughs> Amanda had Amanda spent one too many minutes on Bourbon Street. <laughs> yes. I'll ask you any other yes, questions? I don't. Sure. I don't want to know how many beads you guys came back with. I do not want to know. You know what they're really nice about handing those out to people if you ask nicely. By the way, I think I, I, that was like my big discovery there is that you don't have to do anything for them. They're really nice about just, but don't pick them up on the floor. That was the first mistake I made. I was, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've actually been to New Orleans a couple of times, but um, never for <laughs> never for turtles, unfortunately. I'm embarrassed to say. But um, so. Um, we can move along. Amanda, do you feel good moving along? Ready to let go. Let's do okay. it. I'd like to talk about a cool um, a cool story that um, John, uh, our co-host, sent along. He couldn't be with us um, this show, but he did send along an interesting story. And um, it kind of made me a little jealous. Um, it made me a lot intrigued. And kind of got me thinking about um, conservation, how many different ways there are um, to, to go about uh, a certain task uh, related to conservation. And basically, the, this project, uh, to, to stop kind of giving you a broad idea of, of the idea, I could just actually tell you about what it is, um, is it has to do with the lionfish which um, is a popular pet, uh, popular aquarium fish. It's the one, if you've ever seen um, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, it's in that movie um, that he, like, accidentally kills or tries to keep alive or something like that. But the fish with the long uh, veils, uh, fins that come up, and they're actually, um, they actually have, like, venom in their, their spines or quills or whatever the heck you want to call them. So... Um, that fish is has become uh, tremendously invasive, and the uh, creator uh, of the iRobot uh, has come up with like a drone that's meant just to kill these fish because they become very invasive. Um, they have no real natural predators because they have their obviously great defense, um, and they are wiping out a lot of species that are important for like the health of uh, coral reefs and things like that. So I just thought it was really interesting, and um, I show I sent you the the link for the story, Steve, as well. And it actually has a picture of like this weird drone that really doesn't look like much. Like if I saw it at a, in a box at a yard sale, I'd be like, uh, I don't know. Uh, right here, I think it's that green thing with the little cage around it. So. Robotics in the service of the environment. Like, how cool is that? I love what, how they're like morphing so many different like um, professions now. It's like, oh, you know, if you love animals and you just so happen to be this crazy robot builder guy, now you can do both. And I love this so much. I love learning about this. But back when I worked at the aquarium, we used to teach people about lionfish and being invasive, and we'd always be like, oh yeah, one of the Solutions is that people are doing a lot of like trophy spearfishing for them and they're hooking them up and eating them. Right. They're really good. You should eat them. But this, I wish I had known about this so I could tell people this is so cool. This is like exactly the type of stories that we try to get out there because we want, you know, especially the younger generations to be thinking 
like this, like thinking outside right. the box. Because now that we're you know so smart and technology is at such a place that we can utilize it, that's what we need to do is just make cool stuff happen, I guess. I totally agree, and I think you touched on something that's so important. It's that no matter what kind of uh, arena you come from, what background you have, what skill set you have, or knowledge base you have, bringing in our own unique uh, life experiences or abilities to you know this common po problem that affects our entire world can be so useful. You know that that sense of community where we all bring something to the table. Mm -hmm. For a long time, in my younger years, I used to really feel kind of bad about myself that I couldn't do what I wanted to do for conservation. I always cared about turtles. I felt for a long time I went to school for the wrong thing. It's not what I'm really passionate about. But it's like you can still do something with what you have. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is an example. Now, obviously, the, the gentleman who invented the iRobot as a little more uh, well-off than any of us three um, combined a hundred times. But <laughs> still, though, it's an important, you know, fact. I think we're all, we're, for the most part, the Turtle Room in general is a pack of strays, yeah. so to speak. And that's Pun always intended. good. I, like, I see us. My degrees are in math and music. That, yeah. that was that was pun intended when I said pack of strays because there was a dog bark. I don't know if anyone else caught that. No, I didn't hear that. I just, I just want to make sure. So I just don't hear it anymore because it okay. happens all the time. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. It's not as bad as my dogs barking. That's why. <laughs> that's why I give them um, anesthesia before I go on mm -hmm. uh, podcast. I, was, I thought you were going to say bones, but that's anesthesia. No anesthesia. Yeah. That yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I thought oh, this yeah. was a cool story. Yeah. I love that. No, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just no. it makes me think about how there are so many of us here just in the turtle room that, you know, we don't all come from the same background and we all have something to bring to our, you know, little hodgepodge group of people that we got from another experience. And I love yeah. that so much. Like, we each have our own little, like, niche, our own little, like, thing outside of turtles that we can incorporate into turtles. And I love that. It just makes us stronger. It makes me think of, like, when you think of, your ultimate like zombie apocalypse survival group. Mm -hmm. How you have to have like that the doctor and like the guard farmer and you have to have like, you know, all those crazy people because they are gonna bring something to your group to fight zombies, which is really important to think about these days because obviously that's a real threat. So I think about it at least <laughs> at least twenty times a week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. I, I have downtime at work sometimes. I mean, <laughs> yep. about zombies. There's nothing better than a good zombie dream, because oh, yeah, every it gets movie, you. It keeps you on your toes. It really does. It's like, what if that was real? You would have died. You need to think about what you what you're gonna do in these situations and that. You know, right. you have, to have that emergency plan. It's true. Every zombie movie, someone has to kill someone who they love or care about or at least know pretty well. And that's why the dreams are always good because then yeah. you're like you're out there hunting zombies and stuff. But then there's your boss. Yeah. Or there's your <laughs> wife. Yeah, yeah, I always get like the one where it's like my mom or like my boyfriend, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I this. But I know, you know, after watching so many episodes of The Walking Dead and so many zombie movies, that I have, I think I can do it. I really do. You know, and I give everybody I know permission to kill me if I was a zombie. I'm like, don't. It's not me. I'm gone. No. Remember that. I am gone. You, if I'm a zombie, no. you do that for me, okay? And these are important. I, yeah, these yeah. are important conversations. Conversations, yeah. absolutely. I, I put them right up there with the 401k conversations. Yes. That and like yeah. the, right. if I'm on life support type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's your future. It's your future. So if you don't, you know, if you don't care about it, who will? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not me plan. Mm -hmm. It's more it. important than having a will. I'm glad I'm not alone. You're not alone. I don't. <laughs> you're not. I mean, Steve is. Steve shut off his ears a while ago. He's, just he's, on, he's on cruise control over there now. Okay. So I'm, we're, let's keep let's keep moving. We digress. Um, we want to talk about market prices right now because we've been seeing some really odd trends uh, with some of our favorite turtle species, and there's been a lot of conversation about this. So um, just wanted to talk about a few of those species that. Um, have been affected by this, um, and then kind of some of our ideas and some of our knowledge as far as why, and then um, some thoughts of maybe some species that this might happen to in the future, things like that. So um, basically, 
around the turn of the century, maybe even the first few years of uh, this millennia. Um, you know, I, I just pause you there. Yeah. I, I, you know, we grew up in, you know, the, at least Anthony and I grew up in the 90s. So before the turn of this current century. So I'm still, when I hear the words turn of the century, I still think 1900. But no, turn of the century wasn't 1900 anymore. No. Yeah. It's really the turn of the millennia, yeah. But yeah, you're right. We're old. We're old. My beard is mostly gray. You can't see it right now, but it really is. Um, that's, this is why I don't get proposed to at turtle conferences. <laughs> like Dr. Kuchling. Um so the, I'm sorry, I keep, I just, it's my one joke, I just keep back to that. Um, so yeah, so around that time, around the turn of the millennia, we'll call it that, you could find so many um, species that are really rare and expensive now for very cheap because they were being imported in large numbers. And um, naturally, over the course of the last 10, 15, even 20 years, a lot of uh, prices of animals have gone up uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. Where there's, uh, I wrote in my book, um, where uh, Geoemida spangleri, the black-breasted leaf turtle, which is very popular, um, always been pretty popular, but is very popular now and, and sought after and usually sells out the second they hit the market, um, were being sold for $11.50 for adults. And now you're looking at at least $1,000 um, probably more. Um, so over that time, they what is that a hundred hundred times the price that they used to be? I don't even think you could get At a regular least. slider for eleven dollars these days. Right. I think they're like usually. By the way, you can buy Anthony's book on on Amazon. Woo! You can buy my book on Amazon. That's a real thing. Oh, yay! Hey, it's got, it's so cool. got three reviews for a five star for your book. Check That's this right. out. I have never read such an amazing book about reptiles. They're very informative but well-written so that people who are not zoologists can understand. You can tell he's very knowledgeable about the topic and passionate. Great read. I will always keep this around as a reference. That's so awesome. That's awesome. And it wasn't your mom, right? It was not my mom. <laughs> okay. I don't know who it was. I don't know who it was. You've That's got great, three though. reviews and they're all five-star reviews. So and Anthony Pierleone a... is a five-star author on Amazon. Yay! That's true. That's, I can't wait to read it. Oh, if one, awesome. it's, you know, Steve, you're the mathematician, so all it takes is one person to give me a one star, and then that messes the whole thing up. I, I don't have the critical mass yet to keep it going. But, no. But, yeah, so, so some, you know, a lot of these species, the, the price has, has skyrocketed. But uh, for the most part, and then, I don't know, maybe inflation or, or just popularity plus more and more people every year getting on the World Wide Web, um, which is now over 20, 25 years old, right? Um, that was recent. Um, the the prices do go up steadily, and you can expect that. So anything you were paying whatever four or five years ago, you're going to be paying a lot more for the most part for it now. Um, but there are some exceptions. There there have been some species recently that have just gone through the roof, and the reason for that is the um, Asian market, um, in particular China, um, kind of driving the market. Um, so. One of those species, um, I should say one of those groups first, are albino turtles, um, which I don't have a, I didn't provide you with a photo of, Steve. Everyone knows what an albino turtle looks like. Um, they went up quite a bit, and that was really what a lot of the public interest was in and a lot of the public outcry about, like, here are these things that I can't get anymore, and tell me why, why are they going up so much, how long are they going to be expensive for, man, I missed my opportunity, stuff like that. But there were a couple of species, there you go, Thank you. The uh, easiest there, place to find albino pictures, if anybody's wondering, is this Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Really good photos too. Is that Jared's? Oh, that's all Jared's yeah. stuff. Yeah. Is that his? Oh, I don't know. That was his page. page. It's not all his stuff. Oh, okay, because he shares other people's stuff. Yes. Cool. cool. That's awesome. You got to admit, some of the stuff is really cool looking, um, mm -hmm. and we see them as a gateway turtle into uh, into more. Uh, important subjects, not to take away from those of you who dedicate your lives to albino turtles, but that's exactly what we'll do. Um, maybe they learn about, maybe people learn about something else um, after really getting into turtles because they love albinos. So um, anyway, people, people spoke a lot about albinos and morphs and the way that um, the price had gone up so high in, in such 
a small amount of time. But there actually are some other species, uh, namely two Moremi species, um, the Kwangtung River Turtle, or Redneck Pond Turtle, Moremis nigricans, is um, one of those, was one such species, and here's a picture right here of uh, Chris Leone's. Um, they are uh, functionally, at the very least, functionally extinct in the wild. Really, any adult specimens that came into the pet trade were um, not known to science. I think they went something like 80 years without having a specimen found in the wild by a scientist. Um, so they are so super rare and um, really a cool species. And there's a lot, see, what's really unfortunate is they were basically taken out of the wild so much that people don't even know, we don't really know uh, what type of variation there may have been. Um, it's all just based on um, market specimens. Then you're speculating where each specimen that makes it to the market came from originally. And there's there are uh, macrocephalic um, quang tongues as well. Uh, Dumb heads is what they're called, where the females have huge, um, huge heads, probably used for like uh, crushing crustaceans, things like that, um, mollusks um, that are part of their diet. So really, really cool turtle that all of a all of a sudden just went through the roof as far as um, prices go, where you couldn't sell them for forty dollars a piece for your hatchlings, and all of a sudden. Five years later, eight years later, they're $2,500 a piece. And that basically went up 10 times instantly because of the Asian market. The other Moremi species is Moremis anamensis, which we've spoken about here before. And that is um, the Vietnamese pond turtle. Uh, there it is. And a really cool species. Um, no one ever really seemed to want them. I myself was at Hamburg Reptile Show, and they were $35. And I'm like, oh, I'll get them some other time. And then next thing you know, they were like six, seven, eight hundred dollars for a hatchling, uh, almost overnight. So really interesting. This kind of went under the radar because these weren't on a lot of people's radar the way that morphs are. But um, an interesting thing to to notice as well. Um, and then there is one recently. Have you guys noticed any other species that have really gone through the roof, like in the last year or anything like that? Maybe a little bit for um, for hingebacks, like a little mm -hmm. tiny bit, because like I know they used to be like twenty five bucks and stuff, and now I see them for like a hundred, a hundred and twenty here mm -hmm. and there, and that that's actually making me kind of watch them a little bit. I'm like, oh, I've always kind of mm -hmm. wanted to get some, but I've always been a little hesitant, and I think I just want to go for it at some point, because I do see them slowly going up a little. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. I don't watch the market quite like you do, so. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I really do. I, I know a lot of people do. I'm probably the least, for someone who's obsessed with the market, I'm probably the, the, the least uh, fanatic, fanatical about it, if that makes <laughs> sense. Like, I'm not a big fan of the market um, at all. Uh, it angers me, and I think that's why I watch it, so... Maybe like Howard Stern or Rush Limbaugh or something. Someone, you either love them or you hate them. Uh, that's how the market is for me. I kind of can't stop watching because I hate it. Um, so uh, the, the one species that it's happening to now is the Chinese box turtle or yellow margin box turtle, uh, Cora flava marginata, which is a species we love. And this is another picture that um, we shared on our Facebook page uh, that was the TSAs originally. But this is from an event where... Um, Chris and Steve and their lovely wives, Casey and Lisa, took some turtles to uh, out in Pennsylvania for an um, unveiling of Turtle Eclipse, a uh, new beer that will be used to raise some money for turtle conservation, which is really cool. But that's a flavo right there. Beautiful turtle. I love um, that. What they have in beauty uh, pales in comparison to what they have in personality. So they're a really handsome turtle. They're not the most colorful, but that yellow on the head is really nice, and this nice like burgundy shell is really nice. But these things are the most personable animal you'll ever find. And um, the TSA has a taxon management group for them, and they have a tough time like giving them away. Basically, if you're a TSA member, uh, you have to be a member for two years now. A lot more people are starting to jump on that bandwagon because they've gotten so expensive. But again, it's the same exact thing. It's that Asian market driving the uh, the market demand and, and the, the asking price for these species, which is really interesting to see, 
but um, is not exciting if you've been waiting to take the plunge and then all of a sudden the animal that you were going to buy. I think, I, I mean, they didn't go up that much, but it was almost overnight. Like, I could remember a couple, a few months ago, Chris selling hatchlings at Hamburg for like $100, $125, and now they're 350 is a really good price. So it went up pretty quickly. Oh, wow. Um, like, I still remember when they were 125 and I'm over here sitting here thinking, like, how much, how much have they gone up? Like, that was... <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really quick. Yeah, and and the adults are a lot right now too, like a real lot. Like for an yeah. adult male, like two thousand um, dollars, that sort of thing. And and larger groups, if it, basically if they're juveniles, then the asking price gets gets pretty substantial. If they're at least juveniles, or forget about it if they're adults. So, um, just something interesting that I wanted to bring up because I think I see I just and it's so funny because I had I had contacted you guys and let you know that I wanted to talk about this. I have an article on uh, Anamensis and Nigricans, the two Maremi species, and kind of their rise, and now it's coming back down in price uh, in, as far as their demand goes and everything. Um, I wrote about that for the Badiger this year, and so I wanted to talk about it here, and flavos were, were what I was going to mention, the Chinese box turtle, because that's something I'm seeing right now happening. And it's so funny because after I commented to you guys that I wanted to, to bring it up here, somebody sent me an email asking me about the exact same thing, like this this morning. And I was emailing them all day, like, why, why did the price go up so much? It just happened overnight. So um, I had never really seen that that I can remember before what's been happening recently. And some, some old-timers could probably tell us more. I think mostly in the history of animals going up a lot in price has to do with importation closing. Um, and then animals going down in price has to do with successful breeding or a lot of importations happening at the same time. Sick adults coming in uh, by the truckloads or by the uh, whatever. Um, so this is something that feels a little bit new to me. And I'm not necessarily an expert on the subject, but like Steve said, I, I really do watch the, watch the market trends quite a bit. So um, speaking of market trends, do not miss your opportunity. This is, this is a... Uh, in uh, in show, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, whatever I'm looking for, I'm not doing a good job. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, promotion for something that the Turtle Room has made available to you, lucky viewers, who might be interested in taking a look, taking a gander, maybe making a purchase. Um, we have posters of the entire... Um, group, the entire genus of no, North American box turtles. We don't have posters of the entire genus because we've got a couple. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Not the entire genus. We, it's hard to make a poster of an animal that you don't have, so um, we do have a collage poster of eight of the species, subspecies of terrapinae or terrapine, depending on which pronunciation you prefer, um, with another variation thrown in there. And then we have individual posters available of uh, the Eastern Box Turtle, the Florida Box Turtle, the Gulf Coast Box Turtle, the Mexican Box Turtle, the Three-Toed Box Turtle, the Yucatan Box Turtle, the Coahuilan Box Turtle, and the Desert Box Turtle. They're so beautiful. Then you can buy a set of all eight individual posters as well. Uh, and great. like like always, um, essentially anything we sell, the uh, the proceeds basically go to help support um, the Turtle Room's continued existence, i.e. Um, all the resources on the website, uh, this podcast, our conservation projects, etc. All of our staff is currently volunteers, so because of that, every dollar goes towards the education or conservation. Yay. That's great. They're beautiful, and uh, I, when I was just zoning out, I don't think I missed you saying that there will be like a informational paragraph on the back of each one that oh, talks I about the species. I did not say that, but there will be. There will be an informational paragraph on the back of each poster as well. Yeah, so you can actually, you know, flip it over, get some information if you want. But they're really beautiful, uh, handsome photos. They're so beautiful, and it's funny because you said terrapine or terrapene. I've never heard anybody say terrapene before. And I think that's hilarious. It just makes me think of like the pasta. But I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I prefer it more now, hearing it now. I know. I kind of want to switch because yeah. I always say terrapine, but I'm like, terrapine. Yeah. 
You don't yeah. get to look like this without eating some uh, again, yeah, it's, it's depends on which which school of Latin you pick. Right. They could both be correct, depending on whether you prefer the Americanized, well, the Anglicized Latin or the Northern Church Latin. The vowel sounds are what really changes between the two, so that's why there's pretty much two correct pronunciations of just about every name. There you go. The more you know. So all those years that I thought I had it wrong, maybe I had it right. Because I heard, I would hear one person say it, I'm like, oh my god, I almost said it wrong, but maybe, maybe I had it right. So. Yeah, it's, the key is just to fake it till you make it. If yes. you just say it confidently, and then if someone comes at you like, or make no one will make fun of you to your to your face. That's the real yeah. issue. Is that yeah, you can say no, it wrong. And they're just so like, then, people aren't consistent with them. Some yeah. people use yeah. the English-sized version for one species, and the Northern Church Latin mm -hmm. version for another species, and it's just you know, yeah. <clears throat> it's and and no two people really say them all the same way. Mm -hmm. is what it is. Right. right. We're not Latin scholars. No. I don't know about you, but yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> well, not. Right <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. No, I've actually <laughs> never taken a Latin class in my life, and everybody thinks I have just because I'm a reptile person, so I know all these Latin names, and, like, you know, the average person doesn't. So they're like, oh, my God, wow, I, you must have taken a Latin class. And I sometimes say yes. I'm like, yeah, I did, like, three years, but I never have. So that's a fun <laughs> fact. Is out. That's terrific. I was watching, I was listening to M NPR and there was a, there's a professor who was, it's so good. He was speaking, he was speaking in ancient Greek and um, it sounds a lot like uh, Chinese. It was very interesting. Wow, that's so and they, cool. they mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Because of like the up that's and down, cool. I don't know what it's called, but. So he took so, all that time to learn a dead language for just for the heck of it, just so he could. Or so yeah, he could just, so so like trans. Wow, I can't yeah. even learn. Like I've taken I've taken years of Spanish. I still like can't even. Wow, that's that makes me oh, rethink my life. Yeah, to to <laughs> learn a, to learn a language that, that no one's ever taught you. That's pretty impressive. But I I don't know. I, I feel at the same time, like, with this Latin stuff, as it pertains to the naming of species, you could just fake it till you make it, say whatever you want, oh, yeah. just be like, yeah, well, well, you know. And then we're around it so much that, like, there are literally... Well, okay, so take the forestans tortoise, right? There's forstani, which most people say. There's forstanii, because it's two. Steve, you say forstanii or something like that, right? <clears throat> the, That's three right there. The... the Right, and all of them are technically wrong for either school. Um, <laughs> what? If we, ah. want to dig into the, if we want to dig into the vowel sounds. The We've had this correct, conversation so many times. Yeah. The, two, the two correct vowel sounds for the second I, for the, all the scientific names that have the double I ending, the last I, in the Anglicized Latin, it is that long I sound. In the Northern Church Latin, the long I sound is the E sound, so both of those are correct. The I that comes right before that, in both versions, is supposed to be the short I sound. So the two correct pronunciations, technically, are forstenet E or forstenet I. Do you happen to know ancient Greece? Do you know? <laughs> no, I do not like, know Greek. Why do you know this? I <laughs> spent some time um, studying just, just for the fun of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just for the <laughs> fun are, of it. There are four. Nothing better to do, I guess. There are four basic Latin pronunciations, and there are two that are basically accepted and still used. I learned a long time ago. You're making a basketball team, find people better than you, taller than you. You're making a podcast team, find someone smarter than you. Yes, settle yeah. Down, mm -hmm. Settle down and, and start a podcast franchise. Mm -hmm. Yep, and just ride the coattails. You, you, it's obvious who's the smarter one here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, anyway, so moving on, I wanted to say something else interesting. So two days ago on Facebook, I had no idea. It seems like just yesterday, but Steve Irwin passed away ten years ago. Uh, two days ago was the ten-year anniversary. Is what I'm trying to say. I'm embarrassed. I'm not even speaking Latin. There's no excuse. <laughs> So um, a pretty somber uh, reminder of how old um, I am, we are, and how t fast time passes. Um, and then also kind of a cool moment to reflect on how 
awesome he was and how much I need to buy shorter khaki shorts. Yeah, same here even. I mean, yeah. I'm a girl and I he's always got me beat. Gosh. Yeah, I agree. Wow. I agree. And I think of him every time I go out uh, in the field because I, I'm always the only one that wears shorts, like through the sawgrass <laughs> and prickers. And that is not true. Yeah. In fact, that's true. When we were, we when, shorts we were together. In, when we were out in April, by the time we were an hour into that first site, my shorts were a lot shorter than his. That's true. No. That's true. If you're counting the the open crotch as short, <laughs> then yes, oh they were gosh. very short. <laughs> just with shorts. I'm about an hour into our first site, so it was great. And that I was means you're really working. I right? was the only one that didn't have a wardrobe malfunction. Jordan fell down because of his shoes and fell like like head underwater in the river. Uh, Eric had like sores from his waders rubbing, and Steve ripped his shorts. I was the only one that was fine. Hiking boots and shorts. Didn't something happen to your car though? Yeah, that's yeah. I ran over a rock. Go. I'm embarrassed. So, Thank you. Nobody made it out unscathed, I guess that day. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> um, don't even get me started about Steve Irwin, though, because like I, gosh, that day, of course, I made this huge thing, and I mean, as far as like, you know, for me, just being reptiles in general, like I was a weird kid. I'm not kidding. Everybody's like, oh yeah, I like the animals as a kid. No, I was that girl that was barking on the soccer field chasing the ball because I wanted to I'd rather pretend I was a dog and <laughs> like I was just always alone I was always like counting bugs I was always pretending I was a animal I never wanted to play like you know house or you know Barbies or anything like that I just it was all animals all the time and I felt like a complete loser I was always out in the pond in my backyard and so when I started watching you know the crocodile hunter and Steve Irwin on TV I was like oh my god that's an adult doing that he's jumping around and he's an adult and he's talking funny and he lives in the TV and he's the best person I've ever seen in my life and like <laughs> I get to do this you know this is my absolute like I don't have to be like a pet store keeper like I get to be like this guy and he was just so profoundly profoundly significant in my life growing up because you know if anything else he taught me that I was that I was not completely weird I mean I'm a weird person but like not completely you know something wrong with me but also that my passion and what I loved was important and was you know significant and something that I should should be proud of and should scream about and jump up and down and and um and so he was just kind of that person that you know made me so so proud to be this crazy weird animal girl that didn't have any friends and um, and you know, as I went on and got older, I've started looking to his videos for influence when it comes to my own educational, you know, style and things like that. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who are looking at Discovery and Animal Planet and waiting for these documentaries to come back, and they say, oh, you know, but Steve Ir Irwin, he started the sensationalization of of wildlife, but I think he really just started. It, it in a way that he got people excited about wildlife mm. for the first time. It wasn't just like, this is the water buffalo and it's natural habitat. Like, he was like, Crocky, mate, look at him. He's beautiful. Oh, my God. He's going to, like, you know, and he's just get in there and he's like, look at this. This would kill me in two seconds and I'm going to kiss it on the head. And, like, hello, friend. Yes, I'm getting all excited. And she's like, what's going on? <laughs> Are you possessed by the devil? <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, he got people, like, excited and, like, you know, it didn't matter if you liked animals or not. Like, when you heard this Australian guy screaming across the room, you're like, what is he doing? And you see yeah. that he's got, like, this huge, like, iguana or something. You're just like, oh, that's cool. And you learn something. And he did it really well in a way that, you know, wasn't fear-mongering or, like, hmm. you know, sensationalized. And now Discovery and Animal Planet don't have that anymore. It's too bad. Right. I think it was really interesting how you said that people thought that he led to the <laughs> the sensationalizing of that's that's I I think that's so far from the truth. Mm -hmm. There's so much of that garbage already out when when he was there. Oh, yeah. I need to you know bring up my own uh, feelings and negativity towards it, but just mm -hmm. you know that when animals attack and all that type mm -hmm. of stuff was already alive and well. When, when he was around, and I think what people like him and Jeff Corman do or or did in his case um, was really 
positive. important and positive. Yeah, it was really positive. So, you know, what he was doing was dangerous, and that's why a lot of the negative people would say, like, oh, one day he's going to get killed by a croc, and it would hurt my heart to he hear probably it. probably knew that, yeah. yeah. And, and it, I think you, you accept that to a certain degree when you yeah. are in that line of work. You know, every time I work with, like, venomous snakes, I love venomous snakes. Someday I would love to have them. Like, I just have this passion for them, but I always think in the back of my mind, like, you know, what's going to happen? Am I... Is it, am I really willing to put my life on the line for this? Like, is this really mm-hmm. a thing? And you just have to make sure you never get complacent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, somebody like him who does this every single day, and I always tell people this, too, because I worked at an aquarium, and people always ask, hey, is that that stingray that killed Steve Irwin? And, of course, I'd have to mm. be like, yep, that's the exact stingray right there. We have him live in captivity. <laughs> answer any questions. Like, you know, he signs autographs. Or, like, But I had to explain to people, like, you know, they're actually very docile animals. There's never been... Mm a situation where somebody has been killed by a stingray except for that one time and it just so happened to be the most famous animal person ever so everybody thinks that they're so dangerous but of course you know we all know that the barb went into his heart and mm-hmm. it was just an absolute freak accident and i'm talking about like you know i tell people all the time it's the same as if you're running in the woods and you fall and like a stick goes through your heart or something like mm. are you going to blame the tree or something it was such a freak accident. But the reason that Steve Irwin put his guard down that day was because he was working with a docile animal that mm. is not known to be so dangerous. But it just goes to show it doesn't matter if you're working with a mm. cobra or you're working with you know something far more docile but that has that slight potential. You always have mm-hmm. to have your guard up when it comes to wild animals because they're unpredictable. Well, it's true. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm always careful when I handle my painted turtles <laughs> right gosh <laughs> i was just gonna say us turtle people we yeah we learned a thing or two from that i'd rather gosh. i'd rather die <laughs> but at the hands of an angry turtle than live having not lived among turtles there you go i know i love that i know and whenever people say oh turtles like you're playing it safe i actually have a really cool scar you probably can't see it it's like these three lines right here and it's from a snapping turtle and i always say look at this this is from a turtle, and it's awesome. So. That's so awesome. I get you ripped know, to shreds when I catch snappers, but I don't have any scars. They always go yeah. away after like a month. Yeah, that's from Scarvey. You know, it was his back legs, too. Everybody's like, did he bite you? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but like, it was just the back legs. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the story from Eric, Steve, when, when we were out herping with um, Eric Muncher from, from North American Freshwater Turtle Research Group? He was telling us that a time that he was showing off uh, – a, a large Florida snapping turtle to a, a bunch of kind of big wigs that were in town for the TSA conference and yeah. in front of everybody he accidentally got himself bit on the hand and it broke his thumb in front of everybody and he had to like <coughs> play it off but he said it was like the most painful thing he's ever experienced in his oh entire life that's bad oh, that's I don't bad. even I, I didn't think I knew anybody like an actual turtle you know person like poking it with a stick that has suffered a, a big injury Ow. you know um, Eric, actually, we had a we had a Chinese soft shell out at uh, out in Pittsburgh for the show. Turtles and Beer event, and Eric <clears throat> he hadn't hadn't had handled one before, and he loves soft shells, so this thing's vicious. And they are really like you know yay big or whatever. So he picked it up, and the thing's yanking its neck around to, to bite Eric. Got him a little bit. Didn't really bleed much, but he's like, man, that thing's aggressive, you know. So, soft shells are so Eric weird. just can't get, just can't resist getting bit by a soft shell. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, they're so I, Some battle, some some battle scars. I want to talk about battle wounds real quick, and then I'm gonna rope rope it back around. So, so just bear with me for a second. I went out. I had some some German scientists um, and authors visit me from Germany. Came right to my neck of the woods, which is which is kind of sad for them, but I tried to show them the best time I could. Um, I was really scared that I wasn't going to do a good enough job, but uh, we, you know, there are some cool turtle species up here in the Northeast, so I took them out. We had a good time, but I stepped on a hornet's nest, and I got stung like 15 times while, while I did that. The next morning comes, and I go to put my hand on the nets that we took out, like first thing, and I was in the middle of making fun of myself for getting stung so many times the day before by stepping on that nest. And I get stung by a bumblebee, like the big, oh, fat oh. ones that, that, oh, we, that nobody ever gets stung by. Yeah, the ones that, the ones that don't sting. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh, I thought they couldn't terrible. sting. I had to. I have. I still have to do a lot of research on that. So that happened, and then uh, we had one member of our party get bit by a snake, 
and um, also a leech that was draining all his blood. It was terrific. It was a really, really <laughs> good, uh, really good trip. But one thing that was scary. interesting, one thing that was interesting about that trip was was that we actually did talk about Steve Irwin, and I didn't know that his ten year anniversary was coming up. But I just find it interesting to see what you know people from across the world think about our icons or our you know things that are kind of uh, important to us or things that just might be different. So we talk about food and we talk about uh, all sorts of things, but Steve Irwin came up, and they said that they never really were too into him, because um, when they showed them in Germany, it was with it was with um, dubbed German voice over his. Wow! And I thought That's... it was so interesting because that right there is a microcosm. It took away everything. Exactly, it's a microcosm yeah. of what was so special yeah. about him and and why he was so popular and important to to us and so many because. Because of how charismatic he was, because of of the way he spoke, because mm -hmm. of the passion behind his voice and behind his eyes, like you, can, you can see it. And to to have that dubbed voice over that's it, everything. it takes away from yeah, it. yeah it, exactly. So I think that's why we have such a connection. Um, and maybe I don't know. Maybe it would have been different if we grew up in Australia too, where mm -hmm. maybe where he wasn't as exotic. Yeah. So, I have a know. fun story that I need to share before I forget, and it's yeah. quick. Um, but it's like awesome and I can't believe I forgot to share this like right away. So the first alligator that I, the first full-grown adult alligator that I ever worked with or like went in and actually did like work with where I was touching it, opening its mouth, feeding it, you know, picking it up, things like that. Steve Irwin touched and worked with that alligator, the exact same alligator. I'm not kidding you. This alligator's name is Wally and it lives at New England Reptile Distributors and Steve Irwin came to and he needed an alligator because he was in like Times Square doing this thing in Times Square and he needed an alligator to like walk down Times Square and it just so happened that um, Nerd was like oh well we have a cool alligator you can use and they brought Wally out and he used Wally and he like hugged her and he like used her and touched her and handled her and that was the first alligator that I handled which I think is kind of a sign it's kind of freaky but I'm not gonna you know jinx it or anything but I think it was you know kind of good luck or whatever but I think that's kind of like the closest I'm ever gonna get to meeting him unfortunately and this well you know it's definitely the closest but it's still something and I love it and I love telling that story that's so cool that's really cool yeah. I love that. well I thought it'd be a cool thing to reflect on I think yeah. you know it's only the 10th anniversary of one of the most horrific mm -hmm. things to happen to a reptile fanatics, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. hero um, like that. So mm -hmm. that sort of thing is once in a lifetime, that sort of tragedy and that sort of story. So I think um, just definitely deserved our time and attention and, and efforts. So mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about that. So thank you guys for allowing uh, us to do that. Some of these pictures are great. I've never seen any of those. I know. Me neither. I love them. That's really cool. You're so great. So, anywho, the next podcast will be on October 3rd. So make sure to tune in for that. It'll be a Halloween-themed podcast, and we're all going to carve our own jack-o'-lanterns turtle-themed jack-o'-lanterns, and we're going to show them off and have the viewers... I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm like, oh, here. <laughs> okay. it, is, it is October. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'm going to I was actually thinking, I'm like, maybe I can do this if I start now. <laughs> you had a hard time finding a pump. I'm very competitive. Yeah, I know, right? God. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you you October, should see your face. We'll be back to our normal Monday night. This is a Tuesday because of Labor Day. And we apologize for no podcast in August. That was we were all we were at the turtle conference okay. on that Monday. It's yep. first, first Monday, mm -hmm. and then in July it was Fourth of July, and Anthony was on vacation and some other things. So our plan is to get back to normal next month. Finally, sounds good. Sounds real good. And tune awesome. in for the for the pumpkin carving contest. And listen, all of you guys uh, watching at home uh, or at, at your mom's house or wh wherever you're hanging out these days, 
Be sure to send us your thoughts as far as what we should cover for topics, what questions you might have, because we'd love to be able to carve out some time, pun intended, pumpkin joke, to <laughs> actually, you know, get what the, the content that you want onto the show and talk about some things that are important to you. Yeah, it'd be so. really cool to be able to do like a Q&A sometime, <clears throat> like to kind of com compile some questions. So if anybody yeah. wants to send some in, maybe I'll ask on social media or something, try to get some. Right. You can also questions. always email podcast at theturtleroom.com. Yeah. Okay. There's an idea. Those go to Anthony and John. Although, um, you know, I should set up Amanda to receive those forwarders as well. I can do that. Yeah. Cool. So let's um, do that. Let's do that. And try, you know, we do get a lot of comments, but usually it's after the show's over. So we're just answering those on YouTube or on Facebook or, or on the um, various uh, forums where we, where we end up sharing uh, the link to, to the show. So just, you know, maybe uh, a little more in advance if, if you want us to actually talk about it on the air. Because that is, a po anything's a possibility. Yeah. Anything is possible. I think Kevin Garnett said that in a more uh, extreme and angry voice that I, I don't feel comfortable <laughs> doing now. Even tur uh, turtle pumpkin carving, apparently, could be possible. That could be Probably possible. Not. I'm, I'll just have my wife. So do it, messy. Please. Yeah. Do it. yeah if I, I could share, like, baked goods with you, she'd, she'd yeah. bake something for, like, every podcast if I could. But obviously, we're across the country from each other. Give it, like, ten more years, and I bet we'll have, like, little things where we can send each other cookies and stuff. Teleport. Mm. I can't wait. I'll die of obesity instantly. Oh, I know. Oh. It, my weight will rise as fast <laughs> as the Flavel Marginata asking prices. Oh, full circle. You did, did you see it? it? It came back. We're going to end with that. We're going to end with that. Drop the mic. Oh, that was, what my was pen. that? That was my pen. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. All right, yeah. So for Amanda, Steve, and myself, Anthony, uh, it's been a real pleasure, and we love to hear from you guys in the future, so please don't be strangers, and I hope you enjoyed this edition of the podcast. See you next time. Good night.